You know, if you think about it a minute, the quality of life is determined by the number of choices that we have. Think about it. If you got up this morning and the only way you were going to get to church was your two feet and they were barefoot, especially on a hot day in Houston on this pavement, not such a good quality of life. But if you have a donkey or a horse or a bicycle or a car or two cars, the quality of life vastly improves. Quality of life is determined by the number of choices that we have. Very many opportunities are available to us during our lives. From this large assortment of opportunities, we must decide which ones we want, which ones suit our personalities, and then we need to strive to get them. The ones that we choose are not just going to fall into our laps. We have to go out and get them. If we pursue them half-heartedly, well, we are apt to miss them. One could say that the gate, that's the image that Jesus uses this day, that the gate that we have to go through to attain what we want is a narrow one since there are much larger and easier gates that we could just kind of stumble through without even trying. These larger gates can distract from the narrow gate we would like to go through. Think of some of these common examples. When you're in high school or college, we must decide what kind of vocation, what kind of calling we would like to enter after we graduate. To prepare ourselves, we have to strive to get good grades if we want to succeed in that vocation. The gate we are preparing to go through is a narrow one. When we find a a job that we like, again, it is important to strive to do well so as to maintain our employment. To do the job half-heartedly, well, sometimes that just ends up causing us to have to look for another job. The gate to finding and keeping a good job is also a narrow one. During our recreational time, many of us either did or do participate in competitive sports. We find out that if we want to win, we must strive diligently to pass through a a narrow gate of being a winner. The alternative gate is a much wider, especially if our goal is just to get a little exercise and to have fun with it. Many years ago, not as many as Father Mario, but many years ago, 
I played high school football. Striving to make it through the narrow gate to the playoffs is most difficult. And even in the Midwest, summer temperatures, when we started the two-a-days in August, were 90 to 100. And the humidity was just about as bad as it is here in Houston. I always strove to win. And the gate to getting to the playoffs, the finals, was never a wide one. It was a narrow one. But unfortunately, I didn't bring home a ribbon or a trophy. Just a really rotten right knee that plagues me to this day. Hence the cane and those steps. The difficulty of striving to get what we want goes beyond the secular part of our lives and also applies to the spiritual part. In today's gospel, Jesus tells his questioners that to be saved requires that they strive to enter through a narrow gate. Jesus has freely offered salvation to everyone. I want you to hear that. Maybe we don't always hear that in the Catholic Church, but we need to. Jesus has freely offered salvation to everyone. But will we choose salvation from the many opportunities that are available to us? Or will we slide through one of the, the larger gates in life that is much easier and perhaps uh, more fun on a Saturday night? Well, at least on the short term. We must strive to accept Jesus' offer of salvation. You see the difference in those two? The gift is free. But we must strive to accept Jesus' offer of salvation. Salvation is a pure gift offered to us by Jesus. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn this gift. It is a free gift from God. And yes, I understand the redundancy in that sentence. Free and gift ought to mean the same thing. But uh, every time I open something on the internet that offers me a free gift, it's for 30 days and then the payments begin. Now we're talking here, folks, about a free gift. A free gift. But a gift is not a gift until it is accepted. Now if you're a parent, godparent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, you know this scene. It's Christmas morning and you're with the family and there's a little one, maybe four or five years old, and you have spent months researching to find the perfect gift for this young child. And so, in the mix of all the excitement, you hand them the box beautifully wrapped 
and they put it over in the pile under the tree. And you go, now wait a minute. This was not an easy gift to give. I wish I could have gotten just a little bit more excitement out of a five-year-old. But promise you, ain't going to happen. They're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. But you see, the gift is not a gift until the child opens it and accepts it. As human beings, we have free will and we can choose either to accept God's gift or we can ignore God's gift or we can reject God's gift. Think for a moment of my image. You've got a little seven, eight, nine-year-old and you give them a new telescope. And you live someplace where there's not a lot of light clutter in the evening sky, and you have this opportunity to go out, set it up, get it up, focus it. And this is a really good one. You are able to see the rings of Saturn, okay? How exciting! Now the gift is complete. But sitting under the tree, still wrapped, because the child has gotten enamored with one of the boxes that another gift came in, you kind of feel like, well, so much for that. The excitement is having that child embrace that gift, see that gift. Use that gift. Enjoy that gift. If that is true for us as human beings, think how much more it is true for God through Christ Jesus. Yes, He gives us free gifts. But oh, the joy that comes to Almighty God through Jesus Christ when we take that gift and use it. Open it. Now, that gift has reached its potential. You know, we can wait too long to accept the gift, or we can become so calloused with the other pleasures of earth that we no longer know that the gift is being offered. Yeah. And that is very sad. A friend of mine, I fear, may be slipping through a wide gate while losing sight of the narrow gate. A few years ago, he was enthusiastically part of the church. But now, slowly, he's begun to drift away as other priorities have taken shape as his quantity of money has allowed him to participate in whatever he wants. Presently, he thinks that he has complete control of his life and that he no longer needs God and there's no room in his life for a Christian community. He seems to be losing his desire to strive for the narrow gate of salvation. Jesus tells us, that timing is very important when striving 
for the narrow gate. Jesus says that when people knock on the door, after the door has been closed, he will say, I do not know you. I do not know where you are from. Now, years ago, there was a big uproar when you went on vacation because somebody had to find where we put the key to the house, the key to the front door in the middle of America. You didn't even lock your doors, even at night. But now, oh, we live in a, a different time, a different place, a different city. 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, there comes a knock on your door. Do you answer the door? Do you look through the little peephole? Or do you just stay in the back of the house and pretend you didn't hear a thing? We live in a different world. Jesus is saying that sometimes that door gets shut. And like us, it's a little too late to go be answering the door. And if we did, we didn't know the face, we didn't know the person, I'm sorry, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. You know, since God is in charge of final judgment, why do we decide who will be saved? We fall into that trap on a regular basis. We as disciples of Jesus must not be judgmental about who we think will go through that narrow gate. Our vision of God must not be so nearsighted, myopic, or parochial, just you know, right outside our peripheral vision. We must see with a wide-angled lens that God's salvation is open to all. God's salvation is unbounded, and it reaches out to those whom we may not only distrust, dislike, or in the darkness of our heart, even despise. We must be careful not to think that only those with our point of view are faithful and deserving of salvation. If you don't share my politics and you don't share my Catholic church, I'm not sure I've got much use for you. We must not think that only those will be saved who belong to the right religious groups who believe correct religious doctrines or who follow a Catholic-approved way of life. There is something dangerous about being smugly convinced of our own salvation because we have followed all the rules. When we are so sure of ourselves, we can easily fall into the error of being as sure of the moral failures of others as well. If you want to see what that looks like in history, I know, 
I'm an old man. I still read history books. They're not in vogue right now. We don't want to talk about history. We don't want to, we want to pretend and make it go away. But if you read the history of these United States, the whole Puritan movement was trying to figure out if I'm still saved and who isn't. And have we done everything we need to do to purify the church? Read the history of the Puritans. It didn't go so well for them. Jesus' invitation to salvation is open to all of us. It is he and his will that saves us. The good news is that it is never too late. Never too late. But what is our response? Are each of us striving to go through that narrow gate? Amen.